0: This morning, uh, we are wrapping up our series, Truth and Power. And if you're new or if you're visiting with us today, the last five weeks we've been in this series where we've been talking about the concept of justice. And specifically, we've been talking about the concept of biblical justice. What does the Bible have to say about justice? And when it comes to justice, from the Bible's perspective, it's it's predicated on, on one really central and important idea. And it's this, that every one of us, all of us, me and you, we were all created in God's image. And therefore, everyone, all of us, every human being is worthy of dignity and respect and fair treatment. Simply because we're created in God's image. We have value and worth because God created us. And throughout the story of the Bible, what we see is that that, uh, from Old Testament to New Testament, God calls his people not not only to do what's right as it relates to their relationships with other people, but to see in the world where that's not taking place, where there is injustice, and to use whatever power they have to work to set things right. And whenever they failed to do so, throughout the story of the Bible, God sent messengers, prophets, who would come and who would call them back, who would remind them of what it it means what the responsibility is of being God's people to do justice, to do what's right to other people. So in this series, we've been we started by looking back at the Old Testament prophet Amos, who was a simple man. He was a shepherd. He was a farmer, uh, who in his own time saw the inequity, saw the injustice that was taking place in Israel, and he was willing to see that and then to act upon it, to go and to speak truth to power, even being willing to call out the king and the ruling elite, upper wealthy class that we're marginalizing the poor in his time. And then for the last four weeks, what we've done is we've sat and we've listened to these amazing people who are, in a way, prophets in our own time. Uh, men and women who have significantly committed their lives to working for justice here in the city of Denver and around the world. And what we've tried to do is to, to glean from them... From their experience, what is it that God has done in their life? What, is, what have they learned in this process of seeking justice? And today, as we wrap up the series, uh, what I want to do is I want to get personal. Uh, because now it's about you and it's about me. What, what do we do with all of this information? We've talked a lot about justice and what the Bible has to say about it. We've listened to people. We've seen what it looks like kind of with skin on. We've seen what it looks like when people pursue this in their own lives. And today I want to talk about where we go from here. Now, when, when we started this series, uh, I was really excited for a number of reasons. Uh, number one, I, I was excited for us just to talk about uh, the, these concepts and these ideas. I was excited to introduce you to these four amazing people that I've gotten to know and and am really inspired by. Um, I'll be honest, I was really excited about not having to write a sermon for four weeks. That was really great. Um, I told Norton I think I'm going to be the interview guy from now on when I get a slot to preach. I'm just going to interview people. It's way more fun for me. Um, but coming in, so I was really excited about this series and excited about the potential for what it might do, to what it might catalyze in us as a community, but I also had some concerns, I'll be honest. And My concerns weren't really about content. Was it wasn't about what I was going to share. Uh, It wasn't even about what our guests were going to say or share. That's not totally true. I was a little worried about what Sarah might say about our current administration while she was here. She just wore a t-shirt. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just go back and look at our Instagram feed. It was fantastic. But she was nice. She didn't say anything negative. And everyone else was great. I wasn't really worried about that too much. I wasn't worried about the content being good. Now, my concerns weren't about the series uh, or what we were going to say. My concerns were for what would happen afterward. What would happen? Because my goal in doing the series, and and honestly the goal, I think anytime we preach, is we want to see something happen in our lives and in our community. We want something to change. And I think there are two big barriers that I saw coming into this series for us to take what we've learned about justice and to put it into practice. Two primary barriers. And those barriers are still there. And so I want to talk about them directly this morning. So the first barrier is what I want to call conditioned indifference, Conditioned indifference. Now, what I mean by that is that we have all become numb to the injustices that happen around us every day. We've been conditioned to become indifferent. We're not heartless people. It's not that we don't care about these things. It's that we can't we can't care about them because there's too much. I mean, who could blame us for becoming indifferent? Every single day, there is a 24-hour news cycle that delivers to us bad news about bad things that are happening to people all around the world. Ways that injustices are playing out. From every corner of the globe, those those stories come to us through our television, through the radio, through the internet. We're just inundated with them every day. And then, now we have social media, so when we go into that, we see those same stories shared by our friends along with their commentary about what's going wrong, and that amps up a, a lot of the dialogue and a lot of our, our, the rhetoric, rhetoric around it and adds tension and stress. And then, if that's not enough, social media also delivers to us all the stuff that the news would never talk about. The pain and the injustice, the tragedy that befalls the people that, that you know and that I know or have ever known in our life that we're connected to in some way. And on and on and on it goes. We're just overwhelmed. It's too much for us to take in and actually engage with. There's a saying, some have credited to Joseph Stalin who once said, the death of one person, the death of an individual is a tragedy. The death of a million people is a statistic. And that's what's happening to us is every day we are inundated, overwhelmed by these painful things that come at us, and we're just conditioned to become indifferent. And we tell ourselves that actually sometimes is also preceded by this conditioned helplessness. We, we feel like we can't do anything about it because often these things are impersonal. They're far away. And we feel like, what could I do? What, what possible part could I play? And so we feel helpless. And to, to disconnect from that, we just become indis- indifferent. We become numb to the things that are happening all around us so we just scroll by we just change the channel we just try to put it out of our mind and go and we have enough problems in our own life right so that conditioned indifference I think is a big barrier for us the second barrier is somewhat related I refer to it as the problem of vicarious participation vicarious participation refers to watching someone doing something and feeling like you're a part of it students help me out this is why you love youtube because you can go on YouTube, isn't this true? Like you can go watch Dude Perfect do amazing tricks and that kind of stuff. My kids love Dude Perfect. They do amazing things and you feel like you're right there with them. Or maybe for you it's video games. I didn't really get, I hadn't really gotten the whole concept of why kids watch other kids play video games on YouTube. Like what's the point? But the thing is like these people are amazing at the games and if you love the game, you feel like you're a part of it. feel like you're doing that. But here's the thing. Vicarious participation makes you feel like you're doing something, but you're really not. You're watching someone else do something. You're actually not doing anything. And here's how this connects with us. The last four weeks, we've sat and listened to four amazing people, actually more than that, six amazing people talk about their work of justice, and it can feel like we were a part of that. I mean, my fear is that one of the barriers to us doing something is that we actually walk out and we feel like we're already doing something. Oh, it's so great that our church cares about justice. I'm so glad that we're doing something about justice. Are we? Are we? Or, Or are we just listening to people talk about justice? We can applaud ourselves for being engaged in doing justice, and all the while... If we're not compelled to go out and to do something ourselves, then I I think we've missed the point. And here's why. Here's why I think this is so important. Because justice is integral to our faith. It's not incidental. It's not an optional add-on to faith. And that's not my opinion. That's what the Bible teaches us, is that, that justice, doing justice, righting the wrongs, being engaged in righting the wrongs that we see, when people are treated in a way that doesn't honor their dignity and their worth and their value because they were created in the image of God, when we don't do something about that we're actually failing in what God has called us to do. That's not my opinion. That's what the Bible says. And that's what I want to take a look at first today is to see where that comes from and to convince you that that's the case. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to go back uh, where we started to the the book of Amos to chapter five of Amos. Uh, If you're using the Bibles in your seats, we're going to be on page 640. We're also going to put these verses on the screen. Just a note, I chose to use uh, the message translation of the Bible for the verses on the screen. So it'll be a little different than the ones in your Bible, but I think you'll, understand why uh, Eugene Peterson's message translation of the Bible uses modern day language and sometimes it delivers a little bit better punch. So remember Amos, simple man, farmer, shepherd, in his own time he sees the injustice that was happening around him and he goes and speaks truth uh, to the power to the powers that were, to the king and to the ruling class. But he also calls Israel out on how their religion had become disconnected from their practice. How their religion had actually been failing them because they were simply going through the motions. Look at what Amos says to the nation of Israel. This is, and this is actually Amos speaking on behalf of God. So when we read this, it's God saying this to Israel. Starting in verse 21, we read, I can't stand your religious meetings. I'm fed up with your conferences and conventions. I want nothing to do with your religion projects, your pretentious slogans and goals. I'm sick of your fundraising schemes, your public relations and image making. I've had all I can take of your noisy ego music. When was the last time you sang to me? Do you know what I want? I want justice oceans of it. I want fairness, rivers of it. That's what I want. That's all that I want. So speaking on God's behalf to the people of Israel, Amos tells them that their religion has actually become empty and devoid of meeting. That they're gathering together and they're going through the motions. They're doing all the things that from the outside looks faithful, but they've abandoned the things that are most central and most important to God's heart. Justice. Mercy. Doing righteousness. What is it that God wants? He wants them to actually live out their faith. The last verse there, again, it sounds different in the, the paraphrase that, that Eugene uses, but it's actually the same verse that we looked at early on that MLK used in his I Have a Dream speech. Remember this one? Amos 5 He says, Let justice roll on like a river, righteousness like a never failing stream. And we have a picture here. This is actually inscribed on the Civil Rights Memorial. God wants the people of Israel, He's telling them, I want you to do what's right. That's righteousness. To do what's right as God defines what's right. We talked about that Hebrew word, tzedakah. We want to do what's right. And God wants us, He wants His people, speaking to the people of Israel, He he wants them to also do justice. Mishpat. This is that word of seeing when things aren't the way they're supposed to be and working to correct them. And through Amos, God is telling Israel that without action, all of their religious ceremonies, all of their sentiments are worthless. And he's warning them that there are going to be consequences if they don't change. If you read through the whole book of Amos, what you see is this is not just idle calls to action. God says something terrible is going to happen. Judgment is coming to you if you don't do these things. Now, it's important for us to pause right there and ask this question. Are Amos' directions to do justice and are his warnings and cautions and threats about judgment, are those for us too? Now, these are important questions to ask, and if you're not thinking them, you should be. When you come to the Bible, this is a really important thing to think about. When we come to the Bible, we have to ask the question... Is this for us? What does this mean for us? Because, see, the Bible is an amazing book full of timeless wisdom, but the Bible was written by real people in a real situation at a real time. Amos, in this case, one of the prophets, was writing to the nation of Israel during a specific time and a specific set of circumstances in history. So, does that still apply to us? And this is the question we should always be asking when we come to the prophets and we see Amos, for example, telling Israel to return, return to the way that they're to act. What he's calling them to is to return to the covenant, the the agreement that God had with Israel. See, see, God had chosen Abraham. He'd chosen him and his family, which became a tribe, which eventually became the nation of Israel. He chose them and made a covenant, say, you're going to be my people. I choose you. And through Moses, he gave the law and he said, this is going to define our relationship and what it means for you to be my people. And and this is an, an agreement I set before you. If you do your best to live up to the law and if you follow the sacrificial systems when you don't, things will go well. But if you stray from that, if you lose faith and trust in me, and if you begin to drift towards other gods or other ways of doing things on your own, there will be consequences. And the prophets... Warnings were reminders that God had promised that there would be real consequences if they didn't follow through. Which, of course, the story of the Old Testament is that they didn't. They couldn't. We are not capable of following these things that God set out. We're, we're not capable as human beings. Israel wasn't capable. We're not capable. Which is why Jesus came. This is why we needed Jesus to come and to create a way for us. Not under the law. Our relationship with God is no longer defined by law. It's it's defined by our our faith in Jesus. And this is important because, because for us, this changes everything about the way we relate to God and the way our relationship with God is set. If you were here in the fall for our series, Gift and Worth, where we went through the book of Galatians, we talked a lot about this shift and this change that took place. Where our relationship with God is now through Jesus. So, so does that mean that we're, when we read Amos that none of that stuff is for us? That was just for Israel at their time? Not so fast. We have to ask the question, what remains? Where is there continuity? When we read the Old Testament, these things that were for Israel, we have to ask, what persists and what remains in the New Testament? And is there anywhere in the New Testament where there is a connection between our faith and doing justice? Actually, there is. James, Jesus' half-brother, writes about this. And he affirms exactly what Amos was calling people to some 800 years prior. There's consistency there. Look at what James writes. He says in verse 14 of chapter 2, "'What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds? Can such faith save them?' "'Suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food.'" If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and be, and be well fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if not accompanied by action, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith with deeds. So James is actually reinforcing exactly what Amos had said almost 800 years prior. He's saying that our faith and our actions are intricately linked together. And he specifically uses doing justice, seeing someone who is in need and someone who is is without food or without clothing and simply saying, I'll pray for you is not enough. James says that we need to step in and to do something. We need to put our faith in action. In that example, he says you need to do something about it. You can't just ignore their need. So what does that mean for us? Well, that all depends. If you're, It depends on who you are and where you are today. See, if you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, you're not sure what you believe about God, you're just here checking things out, congratulations, you're totally off the hook. You don't have to do anything. You can do whatever you want to do. Take this or leave it. I think it's important to, to consider, though, that that often one of the objectives uh, objections about faith or about religion is that it's hollow or that it's empty. And I hope you see see at least that our Bible calls us to put our faith into action. And so maybe if one of the barriers for you to coming to faith is that people who you've seen practicing faith are actually hypocritical, they don't do the things that they talk about, it's not the Bible's fault. It's not the faith's fault. It's the fault of those of us who practice it and don't live out the things that we say that we believe in. So that's for you. If you are here today, though, for the rest of us who would consider ourselves followers of Jesus, we have to do something about this. There's there's no wiggle room here. When it comes to the issue of justice and what do we do to move into the world, and what do we do with all the information, all the things that we've heard the last four weeks, we have to do something with it. If our faith is genuine, genuine and we want to continue to grow in relationship with God, we have to move into areas of justice. As James said, if we have faith but do nothing about addressing the needs and the injustices in the world around us, what good is it? Our faith is dead, useless, lifeless. So at the time that's left, I want to suggest uh, four things that I actually gleaned from listening to the four people that we had, or the, the four weeks pre- leading up to this, the six people who talked. There were four sort of themes or ideas that I want to share with you that I think could help guide us as we move forward and some practical things that we can do to try to begin putting into practice and actually putting our faith to work as it relates to injustice. The first is this pay attention. Pay attention. All of our guests described very naturally how the work that they were doing for justice flowed out of their story very naturally. They were paying attention to their life and something came in. I love Sarah's story of sitting at work and getting an email that was actually for her boss about a free trip to Mexico. And her thought was, I'm going to be laying on the beach." in Mexico for a week and she ended up in the desert in Arizona, basically, learning about immigration. And the people that she met there and the stories that she heard captured her heart. I think of Tom here from New Denver who went on a trip with his brother to Honduras and and the people of Latin America and the stories that he heard, the needs that he saw captured his heart and he just kept taking those next steps. Everyone who shared with us had a story of paying attention to what was happening in the world around them, seeing a need and then beginning to move towards it. And we, too, have to push past our conditioned indifference to see the things that are happening in the lives of the people around us, to see that the things that are happening in our communities, and our city, and be willing to be open to what God is pushing us towards doing. There's a quote that I love from Mother Teresa who said, if I look at the Mass, I will never act. If I look at the One, I will. Simply saying, if we focus on these massive problems that are out in the world, we may not ever do anything, but if we take the time to get to know someone, or, or if something happens within our sphere of influence or within our sphere of relationships, suddenly things shift and things change for us. Focus is key to being able to have an impact as it relates to justice. This is why at New Denver, we only have one mission partner. We, we work with Guatemala. In the city, we try to focus on Joshua Station. It's not that we don't care about the other things that are happening in the world. You can't do everything, so focus. What is it that God might be calling you to do? It might be participating in Guatemala. It might be with Joshua Station. It might be with something else. You're grown adults. You can do whatever you want to do. You don't have to do what, we, what we're what we as an organization doing. Do what God is calling you to do. What is it for you? What's catching your heart? What catches your attention that's happening in the world around you? And the next step is be prudent. Be prudent. Nearly all of our guests pointed out the need to be thoughtful and prudent before jumping to action. Now, they didn't use the word prudent. That's like an old person word. Um, But I think it's time for a revival of the word prudent prudence. Prudence is one of the four cardinal virtues. If you grew up Catholic, you've probably heard these before. The four cardinal virtues. And the cardinal has nothing to do with, with, uh, with the cardinals in the Catholic Church. It's come from the word cardo, which means hinge. It means that a good and virtuous life hinges on these four things. The first, the queen of all the virtues is prudence. And then there's justice. And then there's temperance and forbearance. But prudence is the most important because it is the one that guides the other. Listen to how C.S. Lewis described prudence. He said, prudence means practical common sense, taking the trouble to think out what you are doing and what is likely to come of it. Thinking through what you're thinking about doing and what might actually come of it. Jumping to action without prudence can sometimes make things worse. Our good intentions are not enough. We need to be thoughtful and consider the impact that our actions might have before we jump in and just start doing things. Too many people, particularly internationally, have made a mess of things simply by following their good intentions. We need to be thoughtful, we need to be prayerful, and we need to be wise about how we move forward in terms of addressing or seeking justice. All of our guests talked about that, particularly Tom and Jesse and Rachel, operating in different contexts and different cultures. This is especially important. The third thing is after we have paid attention and found where God is leading us and we've thought it through, the next step is we need to do something. Do something. We need to actually do what James calls us to do, to put our faith in our, into action. If we believe that this is important, if, this, if we believe that this is something that our faith compels us to do, that it's integral as part of our faith, then we need to get involved personally. And guess what? This will look different for every single one of us because all of us here have different resources, different abilities different strengths. We, we all have different amounts of time that we can commit to different things. And so each one of us will engage in different. For some of you, that's going to be giving money. For some people, it's going to be giving your time. For some, it's going to be giving your voice or advocacy towards issues that you care about. But everybody, regardless of where you are, or what God's put in your hand, what resources you have, everyone can do something. If you're here today... And you you don't know where to start, start somewhere. Be prudent, think it through, but eventually do something. The lie is that doing something isn't enough, that somehow or another we have to solve all the problems. That's not true. Each of our individual small contributions add up to something significant. All of us can make an impact. All of us have something to offer, but we have to do something. And the last one is this: keep going keep going don't be satisfied or don't become complacent don't just check it off the list that okay i've done my justice thing i've done my service thing and then i'm done listening to all four of the uh, of the weeks that when we had our guests all all of them had this common thread that they just kept following the next right step and it changed sometimes there was a fork in the road they had to make a decision about what they wanted to do and i'm not saying all of us are not going to end up committing our lives in such significant ways to pursuing justice but the key is to not become complacent to just keep going if you're giving money to organizations that you care about that's great money is good money is helpful money helps make things happen but maybe consider how you can get involved personally How you can become personally involved and give of your time. That's actually, for most of us, an even greater valuable resource than our money. If you already are giving your time, maybe you're serving once or twice a month, maybe on the weekends for an hour or two here or there when it's convenient, maybe think about taking the next step and prioritizing service in a way that's a little bit more difficult, but a little bit more significant. Mentoring, tutoring, coaching, all of these things. There are multiple organizations that require people to commit more of their time on a more consistent basis. Maybe consider if that's something that you're willing to prioritize. We all prioritize in our schedules what's most important. Consider if that's something you might be able to do. And again, this is going to look different for all of us. There's no guilt or shame in this. Every person is going to have to wrestle through what their capabilities are. If you're here and you're you're married and you've got young kids, there's a lot of you, you're probably (laughs) not going to be a great volunteer over the next season of time because it's really hard to make time when you have little kids but what happens when you're older when your kids get older and suddenly you have more time or maybe you're an empty nester then we can reevaluate our life situation changes and our commitment and our engagement and even sometimes the organizations or causes that we commit to over time the key is don't stop don't become complacent keep going and then we need to make this a community experience. This should be something that we can all walk up to each other and openly talk about what are the things that you're doing? How are you pursuing justice? What's working? What's not? There should be an excitement, not a shame of I'm not doing anything or, or I'm not doing enough. There should be an excitement and an engagement that, that, yeah, we have some organizational partners, and, and a lot of us take, take part in doing that, but there's a lot of other cool, fun stuff that, and amazing stuff that people are doing in this community. And I would love it if we would just Make that a part of our regular dialogue. What are you doing these days to work for justice? How's that going? Sharing our successes, sharing our failures. Can you imagine if this just became a regular part of our dialogue as part of our community here at New Denver? Can you imagine what it might be like, how the impact of that might actually affect our neighborhoods, our cities, our schools, our world, if people actually began to do something, to get engaged? And if we began to encourage one another in doing that. And I'm not saying that we're going to change the city, that this is not, there's a, there's a very likely chance that whatever we do, the world won't notice, but God will notice. Because all of the efforts that we make towards justice, we put into his hands, trusting that he is the one who's shaping and redeeming and reconciling the world. And we don't have to fix all the problems, but we can fix the ones that are right in front of us. We, we can engage in the issues and the, the challenges that are right in front of us. And if we do that, I believe that God will meet us and grow our faith in a way that he just doesn't otherwise. Pursuing justice, serving the needs of others is a key and integral part of our faith. And my hope is that this series is just a little push in that direction and that God will use this in some way to help us to continue to be the people he called us to be in this city. Let's pray as we close. God, thank you that you are consistent from Old Testament to New Testament. Your concern is for us, your people, uh, that you're concerned for human beings. You created us in your image, and you've created us um, with honor and dignity. And, and we are deserving of being respected and treated well. And God, when we see situations in our world, sometimes it can feel overwhelming and we don't know where to start or what to do. Give us wisdom, God, um, to know the right direction or where to start. Give us that prudence, that that wisdom to think through our actions and our steps and what it is that you want us to do. But give us courage, God, too, to take steps of action and to engage in justice in the lives of the people that we know, in our neighborhoods, in our cities, maybe even around the world. Who knows? what you might do with us as a community. God, we pray that we would be courageous and be faithful in taking those steps and that we would trust the rest to you. Um, We commit these things to you and we pray them through the Son and by the Spirit. Amen.